Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Tuesday, June 2nd. I'm Wayne Pratt. Can we make some sense out of this? Can we make some sense out of this? That's all I'm trying to say. An emotional St. Louis Police Chief John Hayden after four officers were shot during a violent night of protests. Some coward fired shots at officers, and, and now we have four in the hospital. But thankfully, and, and thank God, The injuries are described as non-life-threatening. They were shot during a night of unrest sparked by last week's death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. More on all that in just a bit. The violence is occurring as the region is still coping with coronavirus. In just a few minutes, St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan reports on caring for people with disabilities during a pandemic. As we mentioned, four St. Louis police officers have been shot during a night of unrest in the city. Chief John Hayden describes the injuries as non-life-threatening. He says the officers were not engaged with any protester when at least one person started shooting. They were standing uh, uh, near, near, near a line, and all of a sudden they felt pain. And so they, don't, they, 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 they didn't hear shots, and they're just standing there. So some, some coward fired shots at officers, and, and now we have four in the hospital. The gunfire came during a third night of violence in the city stemming from the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis last week while in police custody. Here's St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman. Police used tear gas on a crowd outside their headquarters just before 9 p.m. A 7-Eleven at 17th and Pine was looted and set on fire. Earlier in the day, a group that numbered into the thousands gathered first in front of the maximum security jail, where they issued a list of demands to Mayor Lyda Krusen. Those included closing a second jail in North St. Louis, known as the Workhouse. Then, singing familiar chants, protesters marched the 12 blocks to the arch. There, they knelt in the shadow of the courthouse, where Dred Scott unsuccessfully sued for his freedom. Some protesters also wrote grievances on post-it notes and stuck them to the arch. A smaller group that still numbered in the hundreds later marched onto Highway 40. I'm Rachel Lippman, St. Louis Public Radio. The protests continue as the region and state still battle COVID-19. The pandemic is forcing Missouri Governor Mike Parson to cut an additional $209 million in planned spending by the end of June. Parson says $172 million is being withheld from higher and K-12 education. And it is important to make these decisions now so school districts can adjust before next year's school year. Our intent is to withhold now and avoid withholds once school begins. Parson has already withheld more than $220 million due to budget constraints caused by the coronavirus pandemic in addition to those cuts announced yesterday. COVID-19 hospital admissions continue to decline throughout the St. Louis region since their peak in mid-April. As St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Fenton reports, the area's four largest hospital systems have avoided a large spike in new patients 
as officials lifted stay-at-home orders. In mid-May, city and county officials allowed restaurants and other businesses to reopen with safety measures in place. Since then, the seven-day moving average of hospitalizations has mostly stayed flat or gone down. As of June 1st, there were more than 300 COVID patients receiving care at area hospitals. But doctors don't want the public to be lulled into thinking the virus has gone away. Dr. Alexis Elward is chief medical officer at St. Louis Children's Hospital. She expects more hospitalizations as people get out during the summer. I think what we're all hoping hoping for is that the rate of rise will be relatively slow and that we will not have a sharp increase. Elward says people can stay safe by avoiding crowds, keeping six feet of distance, and wearing masks. I'm Sarah Fenton, St. Louis Public Radio. And as we deal with COVID-19 and George Floyd-related protests, today marks the first time Missouri is holding an election since the pandemic began. Voters throughout the state will decide on a slew of municipal and school board races. It comes as election authorities have seen a stark rise in absentee ballots from people fearful of contracting coronavirus. People with developmental disabilities often rely on in-home caregivers for help with daily tasks like cooking and taking medicine. The workers have become even more important during the pandemic as many people with disabilities are isolated in their homes. As St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan reports, the pandemic is putting pressure on an already fragile industry. Luann Cooper has been caring for her client Margie for about five months. Margie has a developmental disability, and before the pandemic, they went on lots of outings together. To the grocery store, the gym, sometimes to get ice cream, and Margie misses it. You get to go out and do things like shopping, go to the parks. It just gets me out of the house and thought, we're all cooped up here. I mean, when is it going to be over? Margie hasn't been able to leave her home in Washington, Missouri, since March. So now she and Cooper sit together at the kitchen table and bird watch. There's beautiful birds, and uh, that's kind of like a uh, hobby for me now. So we saw a new one here today, uh, rose-breasted rosebeak. So uh, we got to see a new bird together, didn't we, Margie? Yes, we did. <laughs> Cooper works as an in-home caregiver for Emmaus, a faith-based nonprofit in eastern Missouri that helps care for adults with developmental disabilities. She works in two group homes with three to four people each, cooking, cleaning, administering medication. Normally, there should be at least two caregivers there. But because of a staff shortage, Cooper is often working alone. When you're by yourself, you're doing all of it. That's the challenge is when you have one, then the other one in the wheelchair says, well, I got to go to the bathroom. Well, I have to totally help her, but I've got one's got to be in the shower. So I can't be at both places at one time. Emmaus employs about 500 caregivers in the St. Louis area, also known as direct support professionals. Right now, the nonprofit is about 200 workers short, and the pandemic has exacerbated that staff shortage. Before, workers could cover multiple shifts at different houses. But Emmaus president and CEO Cindy Clark says that's not safe anymore. We're trying to reduce the client's exposure to this virus. And so we want to have fewer people working in a home, despite what that might cost us in overtime. Many other nonprofits that provide care for people with disabilities are struggling to fill open positions, even with unemployment at historically high levels. The reasons why are complicated, but some of it is tied to low wages, which average about $10 an hour in Missouri. Most of these jobs are funded through Medicaid, 
And Clark says that means the wages are based more on state funding, not on what workers should be making. As Medicaid providers, we can't go out and continue to raise our hourly wages for our direct support professionals in the same way that somebody in the open market like Target or Amazon or Walmart or fast food company might be able to do. According to a 2017 U.S. government report, nearly half of direct support professionals receive some form of public assistance themselves, like SNAP, formerly known as food stamps. Mark Keeley is president of the St. Louis ARC, a nonprofit that coordinates care for people with developmental disabilities. He says many of their workers have two or three jobs, typically, and still live paycheck to paycheck. The pandemic has made them even more financially vulnerable. So St. Louis ARC has temporarily boosted worker pay and started offering emergency support. We're providing emergency funds for our staff in case there's a crisis in any situation where we can help out. Things like uh, my car broke down and I can't get to work and I can't afford to pay for the car to be repaired. Keeley says he hopes they'll be able to attract more caregivers while unemployment is high. And crucially, that they'll decide to stay even when the economy rebounds. But the low wages make it hard to retain workers long term, says University of Minnesota researcher Sherry Larson. She's been studying these issues for more than 30 years. And she says in that period, turnover rates nationwide have held steady at about 40 to 50 percent per year. What that means is a group home that has 10 direct support professionals would have five new hires every year. So the challenge today with COVID, not only do we have turnover, but we have people who are out sick. So people are very stressed in terms of how many hours they're expected to work. Back in St. Louis, Luann Cooper has been pulling double shifts, 16-hour days, trying to care for Margie and the other residents. Even when she's not working, she's still thinking about the people she cares for, like which games to bring or how to find a hummingbird feeder for Margie. You get to be friends with your clients and your family. You are their family. And family, she says, sticks together. I'm Shayla Farzan, St. Louis Public Radio. Maria Altman edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. From the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.